welcome to all our friends. Old and new, this is the Midwest Football Podcast, your source for in-depth coverage of the eight NFL teams in the Midwest. The Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings, all served with a side of fantasy football. I'm Joe Smith, coming to you from the heart of the Motor City, where the weather lately has been, in the spirit of the Tim Allen commercials, pure Michigan. And this is my friend and broadcast partner, Brian Rosenquist. Good evening, Midwestlanders and friends. Coming to you from uh, the great city of San Antonio with the dog pound. And uh, it's been at least a day since I've been to the vet with one of these puppers. But uh, things are getting better, as they always are. And uh, it's great to have you guys. It's great to be back because it is draft week, baby. Let's go. Oh, yeah. Thank goodness it's draft week. This is a huge week for player personnel movement, for all of the stories, the hypotheses, the theories are coming to an end, and it is time for you to join us and we talk about what we think might actually happen now that we are just about on the eve. We want to give thanks to everyone for giving us a listen this crucial early stage in our podcast. It's our goal to make each episode better than the last. We're only on episode three, but with the draft coming up, we have so much to get to. It'll be fun. Before we get into football today, I do want to thank Raymond for letting us use his song Running Home as our theme. Find his album Call to Me wherever you find digital music. We also want to thank Chris Brandley for all of our logos across all our social media presence. But Brian, the big news coming into the draft this week was the finally finalized trade of Aaron Rodgers to the New York Jets. I got to say, I'm just going to jump right into it. Well, first of all, let's summarize it. The Jets moved back two spots from 13 to 15 and got, I believe, 170, which I think is a fifth rounder. The Packers got, oh, and they got Aaron Rodgers, of course. And the Packers got moved up two spots from 15 to 13. They got a second-round pick early in the second round, 42. They got a uh, sixth-round pick at 207, whatever. And most importantly, they got a uh, conditional second-round pick. Uh, it becomes a first if Aaron Rodgers plays 65% of the plays for the Jets this year. So it has nothing to do with whether or not Aaron Rodgers retires or performs. It's just if he plays. Yeah, and I think the conditions of that show that it, the Packers in the end won the trade here because you had both – you had the Jets worried very much about wanting protection if Aaron Rodgers retires after the first year and they've given up two high-round picks. They got nothing. The Packers wanted protection if Aaron Rodgers went to the Jets and turned out to be good, and they got the protection they wanted. So the Jets did get a lot, give up a lot to give their man, but – if Aaron Rodgers retires this year, is the Super Bowl a realistic possibility for this Jets team now? I think they jumped the gun because they did a good job drafting last year. But Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall coming off the knee surgery, Sauce Gardner were great rookies. But they're rookies. They're second-year players. You're asking these second-year guys to be on a Super Bowl championship run now. It's it's maybe a year early, and that's why I, I'm just going to try to say it. I think the Packers fleeced the Jets on this because from the Packers' perspective, they had no interest in playing Aaron Rodgers next year. They could have let him retire. They didn't care. They're moving on to Jordan Love. 
But now they get a second round pick this year and probably a first round next year and some change. And that's a pretty good deal for some guy who is essentially off their team. Now the Jets, yeah, they, they, they want to be relevant, but it's a short-minded thing because when you think about it, if the cost of Lamar Jackson, who is 15 years younger than Aaron Rodgers, is 50-plus million a year when Rodgers, I think, signed a three-year $180 million extension and he's going to be 40 soon, I, I just think I would rather give two first-rounders to get Lamar than a first and a second-rounder to get Aaron Rodgers. And I think that the whole Tom Brady playing to 45 and winning a Super Bowl when he was 42, 43 has skewed people's perspective on this. Tom Brady, he lived, breathed, ate, whatever, you know, got divorced over football. Tom Brady spends his off seasons, you know, in the Andes Mountains with his girlfriend, figure out what cosplay movie he's going to be next, whether it be, you know, John Wick or Con Air. I don't think he's as invested as Tom Brady. I don't think he lasts to 45. And, I mean, maybe you get a two-year window out of it, but he regressed significantly last year. And maybe it was his, uh, you know, no Devontae Adams, but Devontae Adams isn't going to be there. They do have Garrett Wilson, and the Jets people are already talking about, oh, yeah, here it comes, Aaron Rodgers to Garrett Wilson. But, yeah, I mean, you look at the two teams – Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers was not a playoff team last year. And is the Jets supporting cast really that much better top to bottom than Green Bay? I don't think so. And I don't think you think so. I think that he showed up late to camp and he wasn't on page with Watson and Dubs and Watson was injured early on. So they didn't get on the same page. And, you know, he's going to have similar issues with young quarter receivers. So that's why he demanded they get, you know, Alan Lazard. And I'm wondering, is he going to be force feeding Alan Lazard when Garen Wilson's sitting there wide open on the other side? Because he didn't trust his young guys last year. Why would he trust his young guys this year? Now, I think Garrett Wilson's better than, you know, Dubs and Watson. But I don't think – and also, they got rid of Elijah Moore, who I think was a really good piece. And – um so Corey Davis is a guy, former, you know, high drafted guy from the Midwest, you know, Mac, Mac shouldn't represent. And I just don't think Lazard's anything special. So you basically have an, an injured running back and you have Garrett Wilson. Like, I, I don't think it's as exciting as people think. I don't think they're just a quarterback away. And there's a good chance they're going to be this year's Denver Broncos. Wouldn't it be funny, just as the final middle finger to Aaron Rodgers going out the door, if the Packers take that 13th pick and draft Jackson Smith and Jigba? Oh, my God. I see that in a lot of mocks, and that would be hilarious. I, it's it's kind of my dream is to see them take a quarterback or receiver or tight end just because it would be funny to me just as a, as a uh, guy who uh, is owned by Aaron Rodgers as, you know, the last bit of uh, – Revenge, I guess, even though it's, you know, small potatoes. But two fun facts here. Two fun facts before we begin. Since Wilson entered the league, the deposed Jets quarterback. Oh, Zach Wilson. Okay. Zach Wilson has the same number of playoff wins as Aaron Rodgers in that time (laughs) and a winning head-to-head record versus Aaron Rodgers. (laughs) And he also has a tweet saying he's going to make whatever veteran's life hell We'll see. We'll see. I, you got to love the confidence, even though I think 
he's got a brand new style of quarterbacking based on throwing the ball where it's not supposed to go just to see if anybody uh... (laughs) (laughs) here's the other fun fact though and this is more on the green bay side that's amazing to me this will be the first time that Green Bay will have a quarterback one going into the season that is not named Farver Rogers since 1992. Let me do the math on that. That sounds like 31 years ago since it's 2023. <laughs> That's yep. incredible. You Packers fans, congratulations. Maybe you'll keep going another quarterback or two, but man, that's a 31 year run. That is uh Bears fan talking to a Lions fan. I don't think we have that many good years of quarterback play combined in our franchise history, much less between two quarterbacks alone. So congratulations. It's the end of the era. But uh, speaking of depressing news for uh, Detroit, do you want to uh, nice, nice segue, do you want to yeah. uh, weigh in on the new uh, gambling gate that uh, happened in Detroit with uh, Jamison Williams being suspended? I believe it's five, six games. And a couple other guys that are off the team now. Uh, that's right. We're recording this on Tuesday, the 25th of April. And I'm glad we are, because if we had been recording this on Friday when the news broke, uh, I probably would have been cussing on the air. I was really not happy. So here's what happened. Five players, one of which, and the only really important one being Jamison Williams, the others being Lions safety C.J. Moore, Lions wide receiver Quintez Cephas, uh, Lions wide receiver Stanley Berryhill, and Washington Commanders defensive end Shaka Tony were all suspended for gambling. C.J. Moore, Quintez Cephas, and the Commanders defensive end Shaka Tony were suspended indefinitely for betting on NFL games. It would not surprise me if any of these guys never played in the league again. Cephas and C.J. Moore were cut so fast it was practically delivered with the press release announcing their suspension. I think I actually saw a tweet about them being cut from the Lions before I even heard the suspension news for gambling, to be honest. Right. Barry Hill, who's a deep Lions bench receiver, and Jamison Williams got six games each because they didn't bet on NFL games. I think Jamison Williams bet on college, but there are rules against betting on the team property or traveling to the team, no matter what you're betting on. You can make a really strong argument that this is an NCAA style stupid rule, but that does not change the fact that it's a stupid thing to do. It can be both at the same time. And I think that's definitely what happened here. That's what this is. We've got a dumb decision being made about a dumb rule. And two dumbs don't make a smart. Unfortunately, now you got to wait another third of a season to see your former first round receiver, which really sucks in a year you're trying to contend. Yeah, um, this is really not good for Jamison Williams. Because, yeah, he's got the offseason, but that's six weeks he can't practice. And for a receiver that basically lost his entire rookie season, hasn't exactly been tearing it up and showing everybody his amazing work ethic and the offseason stuff, they're starting to develop a pattern of behavior that's not good. Now, 
do you think that Jamison Williams' redshirted rookie season, along with the suspension, are going to have an effect on the Lions' draft strategy now? Uh, possibly. Uh, because now there's a lot of variation in Detroit on people who think, okay, now we need a first round receiver or no, we don't need a draft receiver. Now we can get a veteran. There's the Marvin Jones angle because they did sign Marvin Jones to be a speedy deep type receiver. And we're finding out now that the lions front office may have been aware of this for as long as a month already which would actually put that notification before they signed Jones. Mm. So it's possible that that could have informed it. So they may not have to burn a deep draft pick on a wide receiver just to have another one. Um, Although I would say that as it currently sits, Marvin Jones is probably the number two receiver right now for the lions. And that's higher on the depth tree than you want him. At least for Um, the first five games. Right, right. And that's assuming that Jamison Williams is ready to go, both physically and mentally, which is now a legitimate question. The There's a little known clause in the collective bargaining agreement that if a player is suspended for gambling, specifically for gambling, they lose all guarantees for the remainder of that contract. Oh, so. The Lions no longer owe Jamison Williams a penny for the rest of his contract, except for the weeks that he actually shows up and plays. So do you think that this might give him a little stigma of a head case? And do you think uh, this affects whether or not they take Jalen Carter, who also has had some issues off field now at six? I would like to talk about Jalen Carter in more detail when we talk about the Lions draft situation later. It means that the pressure is absolutely on Jamison Williams this year, because if you've got a player that has shown absolutely nothing for two seasons and there's zero guaranteed money, they don't usually stick around for year three. That would be a real shame for a lot of reasons. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm saying it's on the table. That if Jamison Williams doesn't produce like a starter this year, his roster spot is in trouble as early as this coming offseason. And let's get back to Jalen Carter here. The Lions have a serious problem, though, because most likely the super elite defensive prospect that's going to fall to the Lions is Jalen Carter. It's the one that's most likely. And I've been a big Jalen Carter truther to you, Brian, and and anyone who's asked me. If the Lions don't take him, given the choice, I think that's also on the table, that the Lions might not take him even if available because they've spent the last two years with this regime talking about Character, culture, culture, culture. And are they really going to go and take the one guy in the top half of the draft where there's a character question? I don't know. I mean, I'm not in the place where I'm going to start throwing the receiver through the the remote control through the TV. I'm not going to do that. If they pass on Jalen Carter, and I won't know this until years later, I want it to be because they legitimately decided he's going to be a problem. 
not because they're worried about the optics. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand. I would be ashamed that the optics of the car- combined Carter and Williams issues would have an it would would prevent you from taking possibly the best receiver player in the draft after almost taking the possibly the best receiver in the draft and it would be a shame in a year where you're trying to convert from a playoff contender to Super Bowl contender yeah i mean there's no doubt that to me the time is now for the lions and the, i really feel that if you believe that the Lions would be best off with an elite defensive line prospect to win now for lots of different reasons. If you really don't want Carter, then the Lions have to entertain moving to different spots in the draft, either up or down. One of the teams that they're thinking of trading with, or that I think might be a decent idea, is the Colts, who have the fourth pick, which is the first of the Midwestern teams. The Colts have a desperate, desperate need for a quarterback. They've got a meddling owner. They've got three teams in front of them that are sending all kinds of conflicting smoke signals. What do you think about, we'll come back to the Lions when it's their turn in the draft lineup, but what do you think about uh, the Colts draft situation? I mean, to me, it's a slam dunk. They're going to take a quarterback. It's just who and when. Well, it, I think they will take a quarterback at four. Um, there's a lot of smoke that they might try to move up to three to block someone. But based on their draft history the last couple of years, they really like the big combine guys with a lot of tools. So I think that they like the Will Levis types or the Anthony Richardson. But if those guys go two and three and Bryce Young goes one, I think they'd be happy to take C.J. Stroud. I think they're kind of in a good position um, in my opinion, just take the third or fourth guy, but they might regret that. They might have fallen in love with a guy. I don't know. Um, I think if they've fallen in love with someone, it's probably Anthony Richardson. I mean, they could pair him with their giant toolsy, you know, tight ends like uh, Mo Alley Cox and Jelani Woods and just have the largest game of uh, Tebow pop passes on the goal line from Anthony Richardson to one of those two tight ends. And I think that they are definitely taking a tight quarterback based on the Frank Reich era was torpedoed by that. They've been looking for a quarterback since uh, Andrew Luck abruptly retired. And um, they, like the Packers, have had a really good quarterbacks. They went from Peyton Manning one year off and then immediately had the number one overall pick in another generational quarterback draft with Andrew Luck. They know what it's like to not have a quarterback now. And I think they desperately want to get one. And it they, they, it was really good that, you know, they lost to uh, the Texans and moved into the fourth spot because they're in a position to get one, whether they want to trade up to three or not. I don't know, but I think they're going to be happy to get Anthony Richardson or Will Levis or even CJ Stroud if uh, any of those guys are available. I don't really see the Colts trading up. But I do think it's a possibility that they could trade down uh, I have uh, not a pick or two to the to the Lions because something like that, because especially if they don't really like the quarterback that shakes out to them, then they might say, hey, 
you know, we can go down a pick or two. This guy will still be here. And if he's not, then it's not the end of the world. Uh, but yeah, I think what you're saying is far more likely. I, yeah, I, I think trading down would be risky for them because even though Seattle and Detroit up re up their veteran quarterbacks, you know, Smith and Jared Goff, they're still at risk of taking a quarterback there. I, I just think that the Colts, they have to come away with a quarterback. And their offensive line regressed last year, but a lot of that was injury-related, like Quentin Nelson and stuff. And I think that getting a quarterback, they have Michael Pittman, they have the infrastructure for an offense to drop a quarterback into, especially with Jonathan Taylor at running back. They can you know lean on the running game. And I, I just think that they're coming out with a quarterback. And I think it would be hard to not because if they don't and they don't get one of those big four, now you're talking um, Hendon Hooker, who's going to be redshirted as a rookie. And that gives them another year where they're just starting Gardner Minshew. Um, now, if they don't take a quarterback, if they do do the trade back, um, I think that would put them dead on the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes, where I think that, Lamar Jackson is looming in this draft class because the way that it works with his um, his non-exclusive franchise tag, anybody can sign him to an offer right now, and the uh, and the uh, Ravens have a week to match it. But if the Ravens choose not to match it, they get the next two first-round picks. So if you have the fourth pick in the draft, you're not taking you're not you're not going to sign Lamar Jackson before that. You might. Maybe they'll take Jalen Carter or Will Anderson at four. And then as soon as the draft's over, then they'll sign, you know, Lamar to a big tender. Like that could be the consolation prize. Although the Ravens could always match it and leave them up, you know, left at the altar again too. So that's risky, just like trading back with Seattle or uh, Detroit would be. So and to me, it's an interesting class because of the quarterbacks, because the quarterbacks – all have very different styles. It reminds me very much of last year's receiver class where you had six receivers go in the first round. And I would, I would believe you believe it. If you told me that five of those guys were number one on the receivers, uh, the number one receiver on the board of the team that drafted them. Um, sorry, Johan Dotson, you probably weren't number one. You were kind of a poor man's Chris Olave, but I mean, he played really well when he was, you know, healthy. And I think that Bryce young, he's the best pro ready quarterback he just has size concerns and i'm not even sure about the height i just mean he's slender he's after watching Tua get ragged all around people might be a little afraid of that um and then you got cj stroud who's probably the in a vacuum would be the best prospect but he has a history of not being playing well under pressure he did great against georgia but the big question is did he turn a corner against georgia or was that an anomaly and he also allegedly they leaked a S2 score that CJ Stroud did not perform very well in. Now take this for a grain of great take it with for a grain of salt. The S2 scores are only available to 16 teams, two in each division. So I think it's more likely, speculating now, that a team that wants CJ Stroud leaked it, whether that's true the true score or not, just to try to get people to pass on him so he can fall. Um, and then moving on, Anthony Richardson's the combine warrior, just big monster, all the tools, 
didn't really show it in at, at Florida in college, but a lot of people like to draft those guys. I mean, you see, we saw, you know, guys like uh, Trey Lance go three top three and Mitchell Trubisky and all this other stuff. Um, and then, you know, you got Will Levis, who I've been hearing is falling in the draft. I've also heard he might be in the number two because he's the big arm guy and he's, you know, had a great year two years ago, but he got injured last year. And we don't, in, in, in they're all different style quarterbacks. And you're even hearing the um, Hendon Hooker might sneak into the fifth, you know, as the end of the first round as the fifth quarterback off the board. So I think stylistically it'll be interesting because the Colts have to ask themselves, do they really like one of those styles? And in which case they might try to trade up, but if they decide they're good with whoever the fourth guy is because they're all a crapshoot. They're all, you know, flawed prospects, even though they are considered wi- widely considered better than last year's class. Then you might take the last guy. I mean, I remember thinking the same thing with the Bears when they drafted Trubisky. I didn't know. I'm not saying I was wrong. I, I was right that they shouldn't draft Trubisky. My thought was just I don't know the difference between Trubisky, uh, Mahomes, and Watson as a as a college prospect take my back in time to before we saw them in the pros. So my thought was just take the third guy trade back. But to me, the Ursay looms large, never underestimate the power of a meddling owner to mess things up for a team. Cause you don't know when Jim Ursay is going to wake up on the wrong side of the bed and say, do this or else. And there goes the game plan to us. That's, crazy talk or especially to the Packers and Steelers fans in our audience, but it's just another day in the Colts organization. They do have other needs besides quarterback. I think quarterback is the most crucial by far, and they're in a position to address one in a lasting way, but they, there are some other things that they could do. I mean, they just traded Stefan Gilmore for the loose change in Dallas's couch. So they're probably going to need a corner. The Colts definitely need help at the back end, regardless of how they get it. Um, There were a lot of injuries on the offensive line last year. I don't think they need to do a first round tackle, but at least not at definitely. hmm? At least not at four. If they trade back, then I think they're very much in the tackle market. Well, that could be, but I think they'd be helped just as much by a mid round interior lineman if they can get a good one agreed, they could just try again at offensive tackle. If they trade back, uh, they've got a never ending quest for a number two wide receiver. And yeah, you've got Ballard who loves to jump at the measurables. So Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Colts. So do I know what they're going to do? No, but I think whoever they end up drafting at four, they're going to have a, some big shoes to fill because they're going to be propped up as the savior. Yeah, and I, I agree with you on the line. I'm looking into what their final rankings were last year. It wasn't as good as we thought they would be, and the big glaring weakness was right guard. And I think at the top of the second, they'll be in a good position to grab one of those guards or centers that they could plug in. A lot of the nice centers in this draft can also play guard. So I think that would be a good that would be a good wish list for me if I was drafting them. I'd take a quarterback in the first round and come back in the second, and either grab a cornerback or a, or interior lineman where they're at at the top of the second. That sounds like the most important thing for the Colts for sure. But I do want to get back to the Lions, if especially if we're pretty sure that the Colts aren't going to trade out of that pick, and the Lions realistically are stuck at 
six. That's that's not. I just really wish that pick was one or two higher because it feels like over the last year as a Lions fan, we've just been banging our head against the Seattle Seahawks. First, they beat us on the field, and that was a loss, and one loss would have been the difference to the Lions being a playoff team. Then they took our playoff spot by virtue of that tiebreaker, even though the Lions ended up beating Green Bay at the end of the year. Beat us again. And now they're one spot ahead of Detroit where they're in a position to take the Lions player, too. Rough. This this is one of those jobs that I'm thinking, can we get ahead of them? Especially if Anderson starts to fall. I would like it, but I just don't see it happening. I think they're going to end up, they're either going to end up extremely happy with one of the elite prospects falling to them, or they're going to be scrambling and looking at the next tier of players. I mean, I trust Brad Holmes to get the best out of that tier, but look, if we pass on Carter and he ends up being this generation's Warren Sapp, I'm going to be upset and heads are probably going to roll. But I also trust that they will have done their homework. They will know which guys are dudes on the defense. They will know which guys are legitimate franchise quarterbacks, I hope. So after two years of good drafts and looking like they know what they're doing better than any other sports team in this god-awful town, you know, you get a little bit of leeway there. I I think that this is the most fascinating of any of our teams for the draft based on their capital. I mean, you're talking, you got the sixth pick, the 18th, you got 48, and I think it's 55, both the second round picks. That's a lot of good draft capital you've gotten from the TJ Hawkinson trade, et cetera, and, um, and, the, and, the, and the Matt Stafford trade. Now, I agree with you with the sixth position. That is, in my opinion, the most fascinating position to be in because Let's say it goes chalk and you have three quarterbacks taken and two defensive players taken, Will Anderson and Jalen Carter. Now you're in a really tough spot because the best player on the board is probably Christian Gonzalez or Devin Witherspoon, who both play cornerbacks. And I don't think you guys want to see the Lions take another cornerback this high after the Okuda issue. Then it's do you take Will Levis or Anthony Richardson or CJ Stroud, whoever falls to that position? Ideally, someone gets excited for that last quarterback and you can trade back. Well, there's also Tyree Wilson up there. So my thought is Tyree Wilson and Will Anderson go and the Lions have the chance of Jalen Carter or not. Whatever of the top four quarterbacks happens to be left over or the next tier of prospects. And I think that is the hope in my opinion, because Tyree Wilson is very similar to the Trayvon Walker profile where he didn't produce a lot in college, but he had the great measurables. Um, I think the Tyree Wilson stuff has cooled a little recently because he has not done any workouts for teams, including a pro day, which if some guy is off the charts athletic, teams want to see it like they did with Trayvon at the uh, combine last year or Anthony Richardson this year. And I agree. If Tyree Wilson sneaks into that top five, I think you're six becomes a perfect position to be in because now you have gotten another great blue tripper to follow you guys at six, whether it be Jalen Carter, a quarterback, or Anthony Richardson, not Anthony Richardson, Will Anderson. 
Whereas like last year, you guys sat two and you got the best lineman in the draft because the the uh, Jaguars overdrafted Trayvon. And then two years ago, you guys got Payne Sewell, who's probably the best lineman in that draft to fall to you guys. And I think Holmes is probably in position to do that again. I haven't heard any of Tyree Wilson's hype train slowing down personally. I mean, I'm now hearing him routinely connected to two and three in the draft. And go ahead. As a Bears fan and a Lions fan talking to, I hope that's true because I I just, I'm not that excited by him. And I think that actually brings me to a good point is that when you look at the teams that have done the weirdest stuff off the boards of the last 10 years, um, it's New England. Doesn't affect you guys, but we can come back to that in a little bit. But it's also the Seahawks. Last year when they took cross, it was the first time they kind of went with the consensus. And, 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 and since they built the Legion of Boom, I could see Seattle taking Tyree Wilson. Um, the Cardinals are a weird team. And I think their new coach is a defensive guy from Philly. He probably wants a defensive end, so he might take one. I've also even heard rumors that the the Texans have soured on all the non-Bryce young quarterbacks and might just take Will Anderson for D'Amico Ryans to build his defense around. And if any of those things happen, Detroit's in a great position. So it's a weird spot where I think when we're watching that draft on Thursday, those first five picks are going to be as exciting as the pick the Lions make themselves. They're in a really good position unless they've already decided they want no piece of Jalen Carter. And then it is Alka-Seltzer to the rescue. Yeah. Well, the good news is this isn't like the Laramie Tunzel thing where the news broke on draft day. At least the news broke a month ago. So the Lions have had a lot of time to do their due diligence. So and hopefully they have done it. And hopefully it was just a one-off mistake. And uh, he can make whoever drafts him proud, especially if he falls to one of our teams. After we also have to touch on pick 18, uh, which, of course, what the Lions do at the top of the draft will have a lot to do with what they do at 18. I think at some point, the high in the draft, the Lions have two first rounders and two second rounders. At some point, they have to draft a corner. After the Lions traded Jeff Okuda, they don't have but one starting quality corner signed beyond this season. So they've got to get somebody in here that's going to actually be a lion somewhere down the line that's not a rental. That's just more evidence that the championship window is this year. You're looking at top 10 corners. You're looking at the mid-first corners. And you're also keeping an eye on the second round corners and seeing which one you're happy to go with and where the value is. So I think that's great because my my opinion – so I guess if we were just to say my dream scenario for the lions would be Jalen Carter falls to six. And I really love the idea of doubling down and getting Kalaja Kanti if he's at 18 and just go with the two best pass rushing tackles in the league or in the draft to go with Aiden Hutchinson and just really building that up, especially because in the second round, this is a pretty good cornerback class. You have the big three at the top with Witherspoon, Gonzalez and Porter and then afterwards, you got Banks, uh, Forbes, Cam Smith, uh, Stevenson, DJ Turner from Michigan. Um, I think there's another uh, Darius Rush a lot of people like. He's a, the other cornerback from South Carolina. So I think that the Lions will be in a good spot to grab a cornerback in the second round with one of their two picks. 
and maybe even you know Hedden Hooker in the second round. You guys, if he if he's available there, I think that would be kind of my dream scenario. Would be to get the two linemen, a cornerback, and a redshirt quarterback that you can see what he's got with. Uh, so you can decide whether or not to extend golf or not. If you could get him into the um, facilities for a season while he rehabs and see what he can do. And to me, that would be a great situation. Yeah, I'm not the biggest Hendon Hooker guy. Um, I feel like he's got legitimate upside, but you've got that gimmicky Tennessee offense. He's had really good receivers in his career. He's older than Jalen Hurts right now, like straight up. Tennessee likes him old, apparently, because the Bears just drafted Vilas Jones out of Tennessee, and he was like 25 coming out of college last year, just like Hendon Hooker this year. I want a defensive player or whoever they can find that's a stud, but a rookie quarterback, if they have legitimate upside, I think is a good draft move for the Lions, not because, oh my God, we need a backup, and we do have some local radio guys that are hyperventilating over needing a backup quarterback for the lions because, Oh my God, this is it. What happens if Jared Goff gets hurt? Um, your backup quarterback isn't going to lead you to the super bowl. Agreed. But the reason that I'm all in favor of a rookie quarterback, if they've done their homework and they've got one that they think is legit is you're extending the championship window. The window ends, in my opinion, if they've got to pay Goff $45 million a year. And that might need to happen as soon as after this season. If you get a legitimately good quarterback, even if you have to redshirt him this year, then you've extended that window for three, four years beyond that where you can continue to build. So speaking of that, going back to pick six, is there a quarterback in the draft that you would like to see the Lions take if he's available at six, or do you think that's too high? I feel that the two best quarterbacks are Young and Stroud. Agreed. I don't know for a complete metaphysical certainty that either one will be a top-line NFL star, but one thing I know about Young is he can throw the deep ball to Jameson Williams. We've seen it. We've seen that before, so there's there's that connection. I think Stroud, and some of this might be my Ohio State fandom talking, would be a really good fit for the Lions because he's the one that plays closest to Goff. He's a pocket passer for the most part with a little bit of wiggle. He's really accurate, especially with a clean pocket. He's used to working with good receivers and a good supporting cast, which he would have in Detroit, at least for the duration of his rookie contract. So you don't need a guy that's going to be Patrick Mahomes if you're taking him at six. You just need somebody who's going to do what Goff can do or a little bit better. And for $7 million a year instead of $40 million a year. I, I agree with that. I think that makes sense. It's a good way to look at it. We don't need to swing for Mahomes. We need to swing for golf but cheaper right and i think that's realistic I mean, we've seen golf make the super bowl in, uh, in his rookie contract we also need to acknowledge that it's high risk high reward if you take a quarterback that high and it doesn't work you just blew the whole build true and, and everybody's getting fired so uh, let's say no no hand and hooker so instead of the second round i, I kind of agree with that i think you know 
maybe let someone else get him. I mean, he's a redshirt guy. It's hard to redshirt a quarterback because everyone forgets about them. Like even people in Atlanta and Washington are kind of ripping their teams for going, really, we're going to ride with Ritter and Howell, even though people consider them discounts in the draft, but they didn't really see him play much last year. So people just want the new shiny object. And I think even a team who drafts Hendon Hooker will probably do something similar. Now, I think for as good as Detroit's offensive line is, I think they could add another interior, a guard, because they have a good center. They have two great uh, tackles. I think at 18 or even at the top of the second, they might be able to get the Osiris Torrance out of Florida or the Steve Avella out of TCU or even uh, the three, the, one of the big three centers out of the Big Ten, uh, the Michael Schmidt, Weipler, and Tipman out of um, – Minnesota, Ohio State, and Wisconsin, respectively. And I think that could be how you solidify your line in the second round. And then you could even go and get a receiver in, at 18 or an extra defensive line at 18. I don't think there's really anything wrong. There's a lot of really good options at 18. I think that six is going to be the bigger boom bust, but I think 18 is going to be a great value, whoever you get, whether it be a receiver or defensive lineman or even a cornerback. You might get one of the big three cornerbacks falling there. And I think the Lions are in a position where they're drafting right at the strengths if you were to look at the tiers of how uh, these things go. And then even then, I think that the way that the receivers are set up, assuming we got Jamison Williams and uh, what's his name? Uh, The Sun God, Amon Ross St. Brown, that the type of receiver that the Lions would probably like to round out that receiver squad would be a bigger body guy like a Quentin Johnston, even though he's not a great contested catch guy. And I think I would rather throw those two first-round picks at defensive line. But when you're in that third-round pick, this is where it's interesting because you get the guys who are the more stereotypical X-type receivers, like the Cedric Tilson, Tillman out of Tennessee, or Jonathan Mingo out of Miss, or uh, Old Miss, or A.T. Perry out of Wake Forest. And I think that you guys can get a, a, quote, X receiver on a budget in the third round this year, where you'd run two receiver sets with J-Mo and Sun God, and then this guy would come in and kick Jameson, or not Jameson, uh, Sun God into the slot, where he can start terrorizing linebackers and uh, nickel receivers. And I think that that would be a good way to round out the receiver core on the discount without going for the boom bust receiver. That is uh, Quentin Johnston, the one big body guy that's rumored for a second rounder or one of the really small receivers that could be going in the first or second round too, that I don't think meshes with what you have in Amon Ra and Jamison Williams. Uh, The lions are actually fortunate. They've got, they've got, Josh Reynolds still on the team as well as um, Marvin Jones, Marvin Jones. Thank Good you. Call. So they do have guys that will work lots of different areas of the routes. They're not desperate for any one place, but especially with Jameson Williams out, that takes out a big piece of the talent pool, especially considering they don't have much at tight end. I'm not a big tight end in the first round kind of guy. Uh, especially since it's blown up in the lion's face like three times in a row. I I really feel like they can significantly improve the defense here. Um, and if they can get one good interior lineman to take out the one place that's the glaring hole in the lion's line, I think 
you've got a real problem trying to defend the Lions run and pass. Agreed. We've also got, speaking of trying to address line issues on both sides of the ball, we've got the Chicago Bears now picking at ninth in the first round from Carolina. And you've kind of, in your mind, it's every time we talk, you've been connecting an offensive lineman to them at nine. Is that still what you think is most likely to happen? Yeah, I, I think that the Bears traded back from first and got extra picks. And I think nine is the perfect spot because I think that right tackle is the big position in need. And what I like about this class is that is one of the uh, boringer takes, but it is one of the better parts of the glass. I, I, I class. I don't think a lot of people have this as a all world tackle, but there, it goes six deep that you could see in the first round. And I think most people in Chicago want to see Peter Skaronsky out of Northwestern or Paris Johnson Jr. out of Ohio State go there. But I think the Bears are in a position to trade back again um, if the opportunity arises. And we've already seen um, Ryan Poles do it this year and last year multiple times. And if the Bears want to keep trading back and acquiring more assets, I wouldn't be surprised if they took Broderick Jones out of Georgia or Darnell Wright out of Tennessee, or even going off far back to take Anton Harrison, or even Dewan Jones, the 400-pound maybe tackle out, right tackle out of Ohio State, because the Bears did a great job greeting Braxton Jones on the cheap last year, and I think he was a fifth-round pick, and he's pretty good cemented in at left tackle. So now we just got to get a right tackle, so we're not desperate to get an elite guy just one of these guys, if he can plug and play, whether it be Skaronsky or one of the Joneses or anyone in between, I think the Bears will be in great spot. So I think they're going to be flexible. I could see them moving back, but I could also see them being happy to sit and put, stand put and just take Skaronsky or Paris Johnson. And I don't think any of those moves are wrong, to be honest. And then they could come back around. They're still weak at the defensive line. But you have those two second-round picks and the first pick of the third round, which is essentially a second-round pick at 64. And I think that's where the Bears can get really exciting because they can come back around. They can come back and take, you know, uh, Joe, Joe Tittman or Schmidt uh, out of uh, Minnesota or, or uh, Wisconsin, one of those centers. And then they still have two more picks to grab a defensive end. And this, in, in this defensive line – class is very interesting at the edge defender. It is both weak at the top where you have Will Anderson, who is the one surefire blue chipper. He would have been the number one pick last year's class, a lot of people think. But then you kind of get into this uh, second tier where you have like some people consider Tyree Wilson elite, but he's, you know, had, he didn't really produce. And then you got – the undersized pass rushers like Nolan Smith out of Georgia and Will McDonald out of Iowa state. And these guys really good pass rushers, but they're undersized. So a lot of people might be scared off by them. And then you've got your more prototypical power rushers, miles Murphy out of Clemson, which I've heard could go top 10 uh, Lucas Van Ness out of Iowa. He's a big boy. He can get a good power rush in there. And I think that if the bears, ninth might be a little high for any of these guys, but if they start trading back, they become a possibility, especially if these guys are available in the second round. And then when you get back, you you even have like this guy, Felix, um, I just call him FAU. I think he's out of K-State. 
he's another one of those undersized guys. He's got a really good bend. He can finish, but he's also undersized. And then you've got this group of guys who are just okay. They're probably going to be solid NFL guys, but they're not really exciting. They have a high floor, high, low ceiling types. And I think that's the spot when these guys are going, that's when the Bears should go get an interior lineman and then come back. And now you're back to these, you know, undersized guys or small market guys or these guys who are uh, prospects that are high floor, high risk guys. And I think the Bears are at the position that that's what they should be swinging at in the second and third round because the Bears aren't a contender yet. And I think that throwing lots of bodies at this position in this spot is a great usage of these tools. Yeah, I found uh, a depth defensive end uh, from Army named Andre Carter II, and I think he would be, if you can get him for a third-round pick for the Bears, I think he might be exactly what you're talking about because he's playing for Army. So he was not in a football-style training regiment. He's 6'7", 260. So you're probably going to have to redshirt the guy. But he tore it up, not this past season, but two seasons ago, even at that build against good teams. And then not so much last year because everybody schemed their entire offense to take him away. Uh, Some people have him pegged as a pure 3-4 pass rusher. I see a guy who just needs to get with an NFL strength coach year-round. Yeah, you might need to redshirt him, but the Bears can do that because Mm -hmm. they're not planning on competing for a championship this year. They're one of the few teams in a position to be able to just kind of get him in the building and see what he's got. I 100% agree. That is exactly the type of guys the Bears should redshirt. And uh, I also like a similar vein is a Nick Herbig out of uh, Wisconsin. He is a edge rusher or maybe he's a linebacker he's kind of one of those uh tweener types kind of like a poor man's mika parsons where i think that's another guy that he could come in as a pass rushing um package like andre carter on third down when it's time to just go after the quarterback because they're undersized they might not hold up but at the same time Herbig could also be developed into a weapon if the bears defensive staff is coordinate as a uh, creative enough where he could be the third linebacker in typical situations where they already have TJ Edwards and uh, Tremont Edwin Ed- Edmonds that they picked up in the free agency. So there's not a lot of pressure on Herbig to produce as a linebacker. In fact, it takes longer to develop a linebacker. So as a rookie, you could just have him in as a third down pass rusher and then maybe sophomore junior year in the pros, he could be that hybrid elite weapon that they could use versatilely. And then other guys I like are like the opposite type of prospect. This guy, Carl Brooks out of Bowling Green, a little match in action. This dude was the highest pass rushing grade in football. Now it was against Mac, but still, I mean, it produced. This is the guys you got to take a flyer on in the mid rounds. He'd be a fourth round pick. This guy was 300 pounds and he got 69 pressures last year in the mat and, and alone. He could be another guy. And also, I like that he is a very different body style as the Andre Carters, as the Herbigs, where you're throwing different styles at these guys. So they might not be Von Miller or Khalil Mack, but as a package, you could throw these guys at them. And I think the Bears should just start hammering the defensive ends um, with like these guys. Um, even Zach Harrison out of Ohio State, his biggest knock is that he produced really well as a sophomore and then didn't get better. Well, 
that's still pretty good. I mean, that's what they said about the Boses is they're not going to get any better. But guess what? Coming out of college, they were pretty good. So I think that that's where I think as boring as it is as a Bears fan to say, hey, go get a tackle, go get a center slash guard, and then just hammer the defensive ends. I don't care. I think that would be the best way for the Bears to develop because then if any of these defensive ends or linemen produce, now in the offseason, you can go get your pass rusher. You can go get a guy in free agency. You can trade for someone. You have an extra first-round pick next year. Maybe you get an elite guy out of Carolina or Chicago, or maybe you can trade up to get next year's elite guy. It really turns the Bears into contenders a lot faster if any of these guys hit. And I just think that the ceiling of these guys in the third and fourth round are higher than the guys that are going to go in the second. And I think that's why the Bears are possibly in a great spot to really just go hammer the needs on the line and keep Justin Fields upright and go after the other team's quarterbacks. Yeah, there. it sounds like the Bears are probably not going to have the most exciting draft in terms of getting lots of toys and weapons. But if they're banging on other teams with the run game, the offense – uh, the defense is keeping them in the game. I think they're in a good spot there. They may not uh, compete th- for a title. I, most of the assets they got for the first round pick are actually coming in 2024, other than uh, other than the wide receiver. But extra second round. Yeah, but yeah. Um, as compare that to next year, when you pretty much have Carolina's draft. If you shift north there into Packers territory, that's another team that's kind of the opposite they're not sure where they are at quarterback they've got a solid defense especially against the pass they've got two running backs that they're sort of toying around with the contracts of uh they're picking in the middle of the round we joked earlier about jackson smith and jigba after uh aaron Rodgers made a career out of not having a first round wide receiver it feels to me like the Packers' needs are guys that can stop the run, which are found later in the draft, and then just all the fast guys. They've got most of their big guys. Yeah, so I think that um, the Smith and Jigma thing, though, if they were to break that protocol and go with him, he would be a good complement to Dobbs and uh, Christian Watson. Now, I don't think they will, to be honest. Um I think that they their defense let them down, and I think they're happy to hammer home getting more. But I got to be honest. I think that trading – that one of the lost minor things in that trade with uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Jets is they moved up two spots from 15 to 13. And I don't think they're necessarily competing with the Jets for whoever might be going at 13. And I looked into it. 14 is the Patriots, which is what I kind of alluded to is one of the teams that goes way off the board like Cole Strange because they have they narrow it down to like 15 guys they want and they just take the highest guy on their board. Don't care what the positional values might be or what other teams might be thinking or what the big boards say. And I think it's interesting because the real value to moving up from 13 to 15 or 15 to 13, in my opinion, is it puts them in position if one of the big four quarterbacks falls, they might be able to trade up to get him, especially with that extra second round pick they got from the Jets. And 
Now, I don't think they can trade their conditional first-round pick with the Jets for, for a second, but they could trade their first-round pick, and they could go put together a package a la the Panthers and go get a Will Levis or an Anthony Richardson if they're not sold on Jordan Love. And I kind of posted that on Twitter and uh, Instagram where they traded up to go get Will Levis as they saw him falling. And I did it for fun, especially with the Bears, for two reasons. One, it would be funny. Uh, seeing the Bears and the Packers trade, that would be a trade talked about for generations, especially how what could work out. But plus, the Bears have already shown Poles likes to trade back. And if he can get an other first-round pick or some extra assets to move back three four spots, they would love to do it. And to me, the Bears fan of me would love to see that trade from the pessimistic standpoint because it would guarantee whoever the Packers drafted with the Bears pick is going to be a future Hall of Famer. <laughs> um, per spot track, this has significant financial implications for Green Bay uh, down the road because Green Bay had the cap to do it, but by trading Aaron Rodgers, they essentially move his entire prorated signing bonus cap hit to this year. So they're going to take a cap hit this year of over $40 million, Oof. which is more than they would have had just to keep it. Ouch. But it also means they're totally out from under his contract after this coming season, which frees up all kinds of space, depending upon what happens with Jordan Love or whoever else they bring in. So they've not this year, but next year they've got serious cap ammo. So with um, all the quarterback talk aside in the receivers and maybe boring defense again in the first round, Lost in the shuffle is their state of their running back situation. A lot of people think they got Aaron Jones, they got A.J. Dillon, they're set. But are they? It feels like to me that they've got a good one-two punch, but it was weird to me that they reworked A.J. Dillon's deal rather than – or sorry, they reworked Aaron uh, Jones. Aaron Jones's deal rather than let – uh, him walk for A.J. Dillon, which is a major ding for A.J. Dillon's uh, stock in fantasy and otherwise. Um, mm. A mid-round running back to kind of succeed one or both might be in play. I don't think they go Bijan, but because um, they're already paying a ton of money to uh, Aaron Jones, and they're kind of stuck with him now for this year and next year with the way that they redid the deal. Yeah. And, you know, going back to what you're talking about, talking about uh, AJ Dillon, I think, is he in the fourth year of his contract? And he wasn't a first rounder, so there's no option. So he could be walking after this year. And they really could just be grabbing like a, a Charbonnet or a A-Chain a or a Taji Spears in the second or third round. Uh, and then just planning to move on to the, that guy next year as a, as a stopgap, right? Yeah, this is A.J. Dillon's fourth year of four. So he is an unrestricted free agent after this year. Yep. So there you go. So there, there's not much left in the running back room after this year. They might be moving on. So they might want to get younger and just go with, you know, Aaron Jones and the new guy. They might feel like all they need is a two-down thumper to complement A.J. Dillon, and they can kind of reset the shot clock if they get another body in there in the mid-rounds when you can get you know, some of the guys that you mentioned. 
Yeah, there's the guys like uh, Tank Bigsby, Roshan Johnson, who backed up B. John Robinson, who consi- might be considered a big gem. Uh, you know, so there, there's this is a deep running back class. So there's a lot of big guys and a lot of fast guys, and it really depends on what they want. And there's the big guys; they could easily fill that AJ, AJ Dillon role if they, uh, they let him walk. Let's go from one storied franchise to another one with a tradition of winning, although they've been doing it kind of backwards to how they normally have done it historically, and that's the Steelers. Uh, Over the last couple of seasons, the Steelers love to draft what I call off-ramps, you know, some kind of viable alternative to paying whoever at a premier position. They just let whoever it is walk for the most part. And then uh, they use their mid-rounds on their tough guys, and they end up, your interior linemen, your linebackers, your defensive tackles, your safeties. And they end up being pretty doggone good because you get some value at those positions late in draft with viable players where you can't do that with, say, corner, defensive end, quarterback after the first two rounds. They are built the opposite this year, though, because you look at their line, none of them are really that great. They, any one of them could be replaced. You, I'm talking about the offensive line. Yeah. You look at defensive ends. Decent. I mean, but, TJ Watt's a former MVP. He's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know who's what, across. What else is on the other side, though? Yep. Yeah, you're not going to do better than TJ Watt. But it might be time for them to address some of those big guys, especially right tackle. Uh, in a meaningful pick in a way that implies that they're going to stick with them. I agree. And I think that with the extra pick they got from Chase Claypool and the fact that they already, you know, as you alluded to, they've already got their quarterback. Pickett looked good down the stretch. They got receivers. They got Deontay Johnson. They got George Pickens. They even traded nothing to get Aaron Allen Robinson. They got Pat Fryermuth. They got – Najee Harris, it looks good, but that defense, offensive line, there's no real strong spot in it. And at 17, they're in a position where they're probably going to be getting one of the big six tackles to plug in at right or left tackle. They could get Broderick Jones in there. They could get Darnell Wright. And I think that they're in in a great spot for that. And then coming back around at 32, I, I think they could get one of the centers or a guard. Or uh, even one of the, uh, quote, boring, bland, you know, they could get, you know, defensive tackles and they have a way or defensive tackles or defensive ends. They have a way of turning these guys into good, solid careers. They don't necessarily like they could get like a Lucas Van Ness. He'd be a great three, four defensive end that just holds up his own, wrecks havoc and breaks blocks. I don't think Lucas Van Ness is going to make it to the Steelers. There's so much hype about him. I think there's a pretty good chance he goes top 10. And if not, probably top 15. I've honestly heard some connection of Van Ness to the Lions at six because he, you know, like uh, Witherspoon out of Illinois, he's a cliche Lions player. Oh, look how much he loves football. Oh, look how smart he is. Oh, look how tough he is. Oh, look how hard he's going to work. Those are look how hard he's going to bite those kneecaps. (laughs) Yeah. Watch your kneecaps. Would he be a Steelers player? Probably. You're talking about a player that never started a college game, though. I'm a little bit leery about that. At least at Iowa, he never started. Mm. 
Well, I mean, they could be in that bland area where they could be going for like BJ Ujolare or Keon White out of Georgia Tech and uh, Ojolari's out of LSU. And I think they could they get a lot of guys like that where they're they're in the first or second round. You never really hear about them for their whole career. And then you look up and you go, oh, that guy was in four Pro Bowls and he's a, you know, second ball Hall of Famer, you know. And I think they could turn those guys into that. Like the exact guys I said the Bears should pass on, I think the Steelers love getting those guys who are just solid pro linemen types. And, you know, and I think that that's, this is a draft like Chicago that they should be boring with. And I think that um, whereas I think the Bears should be going for the, the smaller edge rusher types that get pressure – I think the Steelers with the TJ watery there, I think they can go for more of the bigger guys that just kind of hold up at the point of attack and collapse the pocket. I just think for some reason it just feels more steelery to me to get the big boys that clog the lanes than the little guys that shoot the gaps. And um, I think that's where the Steelers could really use it. And then also, you know, even at 17, if like Witherspoon or something falls to that far, one of those cornerbacks fall, it wouldn't be a bad idea to build through the back of the secondary either. And, you know, you alluded to Witherspoon and the uh, Lions. A lot of people mock them, him at sec- six to the Lions because he is a kneecap biter type that prides himself on his run defense despite being a cover corner. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him in a Lions uniform, but that would also make him a great stealer. The biggest odds for Witherspoon to the Lions at six is a negative odds, which means you have to bet more money than you would get back if you were right in order to get him. And that makes me very nervous as a Lions fan because I don't want I don't want to posit that position. I'm not dead set against it because I looked into it over the last week and there are a lot of ways that it makes some sense. But I'll put it this way. Mr. and Mrs. FanDuel live in a very nice house. So if they're putting a minus odds on something, it leads me to believe they kind of know something. Yeah, don't bet against the house. You know, and even with the go farther back, this will be an interesting way because the Steelers are also great at finding linemen, you know, linemen, linebacker safeties on the cheap. But interior defensive line, linebackers and safeties are considered probably the three weakest of the positions. So I challenge you Steelers to find a great third to sixth round safety or linebacker outside of uh, uh, Jack Campbell from Iowa. And uh, I think that would be great. Yeah. It seems to me like a really good idea for the Steelers would definitely be to get the offensive line in there so that their weapons that they've got can actually run and improving the line especially the right side of the line is a recurring theme for a lot of the teams that we cover here on midwest football podcast if you want to sound off about your team make sure you email us at midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com but let's move around to the vikings who also we've already discussed in previous episodes have needs especially along all around like the right side of the line but they've also got a lot of mystery around the quarterback too. And they're sending every signal that they're thinking quarterback in this draft class. What do you think about the Vikings options? So this is the one where the uh, GM said the uh, quiet part out loud about wishing he had a uh, rookie contract quarterback. Well, where they're drafting, I don't think they're getting one of the big four unless they move heaven and earth to move up. So 
there's a lot of buzz about them getting Hendon Hooker because they're on the last year of uh, Kirk Cousins' contract, and they could redshirt Hooker and then uh, run with him and let Cousins walk. What do you think about that idea in Minnesota? I think that if you took Kirk Cousins off the Vikings and put him on the 49ers – the that in San Francisco would be the prohibited favorites to come out of the NFC for sure and possibly win the whole thing. There's a lot of talk about, you know, cousins under the lights and all that good stuff. But the fact is, if you give him help, he will produce like a top 10 quarterback. You can say what you want about the clutch. Yeah, he's a guy that needs help. But yeah, so does just about every quarterback not named Mahomes right now. Um, it's just a matter of how much help. So if you were to build around, I mean, you were coming off a, what, 13-win season. Instead of going after Hendon Hooker, I think, not to sound like a broken record, but go get one of the offensive linemen, whether it be a right tackle or right guard. I think you'll do Cousins a big favor. You don't have that. You don't have a second-round pick, but the third-round pick, you can get one of the many receivers that could pan out and you're not asking him as much as you might if you drafted him earlier for another team because you got TJ Hawkinson in the middle. You have Justin Jefferson as the possibly best receiver in the league. So if you can get shore up that line and shore up the receiver core with their first and third pick, I think that gives you a championship window. And then you really get to find out if Cousins is worth the contract or not because you've done everything you can to help him out. Yeah. Uh, last episode, we talked about what makes a championship window, and it comes down to what's your quarterback's contract. Do you have a top three quarterback in the league where it doesn't matter what he's getting paid? Do you have a good quarterback on a rookie deal? Well, right now, the Vikings have a reasonably priced veteran. Kirk Cousins is making mid-30s, I think, cap hit in the low third, uh, 30 million. I think he's out of the top 10, despite the fact that his contract was originally number one and fully guaranteed or, or or just about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that means that there's room around Kirk cousins to actually put some dudes and develop a team. The Vikings need to look in the mirror. And they need to say, are we, if we hit on our picks this year, a Super Bowl contender right now? If they are, go all in. If not, screw it. And that's where you draft the quarterback and take the swing. And if you stink and fall off the planet, oh, well, you're getting out of a couple other teams way for the moment. And you're going to get the quarterback the next time. It's the philosophy of you keep drafting quarterbacks until you're sure you've got one. And I think that's why Hendon Hooker works for them, because even if they don't win the Super Bowl next year, I don't think they're going to be in the top 10, top three to go after Caleb Williams or anything like that. I think that he would make sense as a red shirt because he has upside um, more than any other position, whether you're a Hendon Hooker believer or not this would be a good position. Now they could also go after the shiny object, which would be the receiver going after Jordan Addison or Zay flowers to go with, uh, to go with Justin Jefferson and just really blow out the receiver core. And I think that's an option that could be really considered too. Yeah. But 
to me, the biggest need for the Vikings, other than somebody in the right side of the line where they might actually be able to run the ball efficiently, uh, they have needs at all three levels of their defense. They're an incomplete defense right now. They could use another edge. What they really need help with is D-tackle. They need linebacker help. They could use another corner. Yeah, they just let Patrick Peterson go over to Pittsburgh. Yeah, and I, I think that end is one position because they got Marcus Davenport in that free agency, and they still have Zendarius Smith on the ends. Now, there's a lot of rumors he might be a cap casualty at some point, though, in which case they would be in the defensive end market. But I, I agree. I think that they don't necessarily have to chase the shiny objects on the offense, and they could just go hammer the defense home because I agree they, they are weak, and it wasn't the offense that or Kirk Cousins that let them down. Maybe hold the teams to less than 30 points a game, and maybe Kirk Cousins in primetime doesn't disappoint as much. Against good teams, in other words, yeah. Another team that really needs to look at offensive line in the right tackle spot is the Bengals because, oh my gosh, they have to keep Joe Burrow upright. This is my favorite. I want to see this happen specifically. I want them to grab Dewan Jones out of the Ohio State University because he is listed at 375. He did not weigh in at his pro day, which tells me he might be over 400 pounds right now and he slimmed down for the combine. Now, you pair him with Orlando Brown on the left side, you have the two biggest tackle tandem you can get in the NFL. And I just love to see that, especially keeping Joel Burrow upright and maybe plowing some running lanes, which this also makes the Bengals my favorite team in our region for potential running backs because Mixon might not be here come this time. They've already let his backup walk to Denver. So, I mean, I don't think Bijan's going to be there at in, in their first round, but you might be able to get a Zach Charbonnet, a Tank Bigsby, a Roshan Johnson. I love the big backs for them because they like the bell cow. They, they gave Mixon a lot of carries. So I'm not sure a Dave, Devin A-Chain or a Gibbs, they're the smaller home run hitter types. I'm not sure they really fit what Cincinnati is doing because they like running their fullbacks into the ground. Sorry, halfbacks into the ground. So I would love to see them get like a Charbonnet or even a Tajay Spears, although he's a little more of a speed back type. And this might be my one of my favorite dynasty picks or running backs in general in the in, uh, in fantasy. Whoever the, the Bengals take, whether it be first round or second or even third round, I think they have a lot of value in that. And um, beyond that, they let Hayden Hurst walk, and it's also a deep tight end class, so they might go get one of those guys. So they're the team most likely to produce year one rookies at running back and tight end, in my opinion, in our region that we cover. Yeah, the Bengals are in a position to draft a running back because it fits their window. They're in the height of their window right now. And last time we talked about the Bijan paradox, where do you draft an elite prospect at a position that is not as valuable? Well, you do it right when you're about to go for your Super Bowl. And that's exactly where the Bengals think they are. If they can figure out what's going on with the offensive line, if they infuse more talent and it still doesn't work, then you have to start looking at offensive line coach and things like that. If everybody you bring in has the worst year of their career, but 
Um, they're going to do – I got to believe that they're going to bring in some serious offensive line help with a high pick. They're probably going to draft a running back at some point. It's a question of when and how much they're going to invest in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people are mocking tight end to them, especially in the first round. To me, that's the ultimate luxury pick. And they have legitimate needs like making sure that their quarterback has a pulse by this time next year. Agreed. I think tight end might be a need, but it should be their third priority behind line and running back. And uh, I think they could really round out and kick open their Super Bowl window this year if they hit on the right lineman, running back, and tight end pairing. Now, I think another interesting team that has a fantasy star running back right now that still could need a running back would be in-state Cleveland Browns. They let Ernest Johnson walk. Kareem Hunt is still unsigned. What's your take on their running back situation? Well, he is under contract, as I understand. Kareem, or not Kareem Hunt, but Chubb is under contract for this year, but he's going to turn 28 in late December. Next year, he's going to have a $16 million cap hit per spot track with a $4 million out if they cut it. So this could be Chubb's last year in Cleveland if they feel that he's not living up to all-world potential. They might be looking at that out somewhat longingly, especially as they look over at all the guaranteed money they're paying their quarterback. I can't believe he's going to turn 28. I didn't realize he was that old. And he gets a lot of miles on him. They don't give him the running back, uh, the receiver uh, carries that are out in this flats where he can take on the little guys. He is the between the tackles. He's he's hitting linebackers and defensive tackles. So I wouldn't be surprised if his if it, the legs, the wheels came off his legs very quickly over this season. So I can see them. They don't draft till the third round. They have two third round picks. And they could be a really good running back destination too. And he could, whoever they draft there could be a fantasy league winner, to be honest, if Chubb falls apart. This guy could be the guy, you know, and he could be the feature running back, whoever this might be. True, but you don't need to redshirt a running back. So that could wait until next year. Um, I feel like they a better spot for them might be a good linebacker, edge rusher, Maybe a, a right tackle that's good in pass protection. Maybe a fast receiver. Um, they can. It would be nice if they could think ahead, but I'd rather see them go in one of these other directions. But I don't think it's necessarily thinking ahead. They've platooned two running backs throughout Ch- Chubb's entire career. He's always shared the ball with Kareem Hunt, and when Kareem Hunt got injured, he shared it with Ernest Johnson two years ago. So I still think it's not necessarily a red shirt. I think that it is a guy that they might just go after. Now, they did get Jerome Ford in the middle rounds last year. That could be the guy anyways. And I agree. I think their defense really let them down. They did a good job plugging the holes on the defensive interior on the line. But And, and they also got Elijah Moore to round out the receiver core. But they have a very specific type of receiver that I think they could really grab in the mid-round picks that would help their team out uh especially because deshaun watson was at his best throwing deep balls to will fuller in houston so guys like marvin mims out of oklahoma or tyler scott out of cincinnati 
are really fast guys that could be all around complete receivers if they develop well. And then they even could go even farther and just get one trick ponies like Trey Palmer out of Nebraska or even Parker Washington out of Penn State. And those guys are just flatline burners that can blow the top off the defense for Amari Cooper and Njoku and um, Elijah Moore to work underneath the middle for uh, Deshaun Watson. So I think all that would be really useful for the uh, Browns, in my opinion, despite not having a first or second round pick. Yeah, I would add uh, Houston wide receiver Tank Dell to that list be as a combination catch and run guy that has some deep speed, but it depends on since I think at the combine he measured four foot three that he yep. uh, it, it remains to be seen if he can actually get deep ball play because he's not going to be able to just run past people the way he did at Houston. He'll be my favorite receiver to see where he goes because I think he might be the best receiver in the draft, but he might not get a chance because he's so short. (laughs) (laughs) He is legitimately five foot eight. Yeah. So um, I joke about him being tiny, but it's not that much of an exaggeration. Um, A, if they want to do a project, maybe somebody like a Tyler Scott at wide receiver, a converted running back. Ooh. He's still Lots learning. The, yep, still learning the position. You know, might need a red shirt year, but they've got guys right now. If they feel like they're more in a win now mode, uh, maybe defensive end um, mm-hmm. or an inside linebacker like Noah Swell. Yeah. And- uh, they won't be asking a lot of the end because he'll be the guy opposite of Miles Garrett. So he'll be, uh, you know, he won't be double teamed ever. Right. Uh, KJ Henry, somebody like that, who right now is pretty much just uh, bull rushing and choke slamming people. But if they get some NFL coaching and some actual pass rush moves, then, you know, who knows? But uh, yeah, you're looking at some deeper prospects with Cleveland just because they don't have those high picks. That about wraps it up for our NFL draft coverage before the event. We'll be back next week to give all of our reactions to all the things that were amazing, that we loved, and that made us want to throw our microphones through our TVs. But now we got to take it to the locker room for the fifth quarter. Thanks again to all of our listeners. We appreciate you so very, very much. We want to hear your opinion, so please drop us a line at Midwest football podcast at gmail.com and you will pretty much be on the show if you're not a jerk because we're looking for your opinions and your content we want to make this the show for the whole midwest until next time though we will see you then miss you already